1 Samuel chapter number 1. And uh, I want to preach to you tonight on the topic of prayer. It's prayer meeting night, and uh, I believe prayer is important. I believe prayer is the most neglected activity in the life of the believer. And I believe it's the most valuable activity in the life of the believer. And I believe that's why it's the most neglected. You see, it's the most often attacked of all the activities that the believer can employ themselves in. Satan wants to stop your prayer life. It would all do us well to mark that down somewhere where we will see it often, that Satan wants to stop our prayer life. And he has a desire to do so, and he knows uh, he can stop the power in our life if he can stop the prayer in our life. So I believe we need to have a focus and an emphasis on prayer. Tonight I just want to point out a few thoughts out of 1 Samuel chapter number 1. Beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zeph, an Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary, now notice this phrasing here, this, this interests me, this is important. Her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, talking about Penina, provoking Hannah. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son, and called his name Samuel, or Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. 
And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned. Then, then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good. Tarry until thou have weaned him. Only the Lord establish his word. So the woman abode and gave her son suck until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. Let's pray together this evening. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this opportunity. Thank you for your word, and thank you for the Holy Ghost that applies your word. I pray, Father, you'd have your will and your way in this service tonight. Speak to our hearts that which is most needful that which will bring you the most glory. Lord, meet each heart's need in a specific and particular and special way. And Lord, we'll be sure to thank you. Father, we love you tonight, and we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I would say most of us have probably read this chapter, or at least heard it taught many, many times before. Uh, Tonight I may not tell you anything you don't know, but if I could do anything tonight, I want to encourage you to pray. Because I believe prayer is becoming more and more neglected in our daily lives. Uh, It's amazing how we're getting more hooked up to this world and less hooked up to that world. And uh, I know myself personally, now I'm not against technology and computers, and I'm not against social networking and things that can connect us to other people and be an opportunity to uh, win someone to Christ. I'm all for it, amen? I mean, I think as long as we keep it godly, there's nothing wrong with it. But I do believe that one of the unfortunate consequences is that we've become so hooked up to everybody else that we're not as hooked up to Him as we ought to be. Uh, we talk to everybody else so much that we're not talking to the Lord as much as we should. And I believe we seek help from so many places when we ought to be seeking help from the Lord. As we read the life of Hannah, we don't really know a whole lot about her other than this short little narrative here. But it gives us the picture of a praying woman. The greatest thing you can be in your life is a prayer warrior. I know that sometimes as, as uh, church uh, people, uh, you can look up at the preacher, at an evangelist, or at a missionary, and you can look at lots of people that are employed in ministry and engaged full-time in ministry, and sometimes you, you can feel a little bit insignificant at times. You feel like, well, you know, I'm not doing any of that, and I'm, I'm not full-time in it, and I'm not doing this and that. But let me tell you something, friend. If you will dedicate your life to prayer, you can do a lot more than a lot of these people out here that are in full-time ministry. Uh, you can shake heaven and earth in a way that counts for Jesus Christ. I believe we need to begin employing ourselves in prayer, but there's going to be some things we're going to face. Uh, now, we've read this story, and most of you could probably recount it to me, the story of Hannah uh, going up with Elkanah, her husband, uh, yearly to Shiloh at that that time, the tabernacle was not in Jerusalem uh, because Jerusalem had not yet been conquered and it was in Shiloh and they would go up and they would worship. And uh, at this time, barrenness was considered to be a curse from God. Uh, 
Uh, if you were a barren woman at that time, your worthwhileness was basically null and void in society. And uh, all that you were as a woman was vested in your ability to have a child. Now, I thank the Lord that it's not like that today, uh, but that's how it was in this time. And uh, so this was a big problem for Hannah. Hannah was facing a serious thing. I mean, she was not just facing a life without the joy of having children, uh, but she was essentially facing a life of judgmental stares, a life of uh, being socially ostracized, I mean, a, a life of being considered worthless. This was a big deal in Hannah's life. Uh, I want us to just notice a few things tonight. I hope they'll help you. They helped me as I read them. I want us to notice four thoughts tonight. As I read this passage, there's a word that leaped out of me, and uh, or out at me, amen. And uh, I think when you're driving down the road and you get too mad, that's when a word leaps out of you, amen. But I uh, know that leaped out at me as I read this passage. And I don't know if you noticed it, but I want you to notice in verse number 6, we'll read verse 5 and 6, the Bible says, but unto Hannah, speaking of uh, Elkanah, but unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. Now notice this. It says, and her adversary. What an interesting word to be used in a scriptural context. Her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. I want you to understand that as you read this passage, sometimes we feel as though Hannah has been praying throughout this whole chapter. And I know that I had to spend some time reading carefully uh, in this passage to ensure that I did not mistake this, because if you read carefully, you find out that for the first nine verses, though Hannah is grieved, she's not praying yet. Though Hannah is troubled, She's not praying yet. You get down to verse number 10 where it says, And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord. That's when Hannah begins praying. But everything prior to that is a narrative before Hannah began to pray. And as I looked at that word adversary, you know, it kind of got me thinking. The Bible says in First Peter chapter 5 to be sober and to be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, isn't it interesting that uh, we have an adversary and Hannah had an adversary? And isn't it interesting that our adversary wants to hinder our prayer life and Hannah's adversary wanted to hinder her prayer life? And could I say that if you're really going to do business with God, you do have an adversary. There are going to be some obstacles. Friend, prayer, uh, though it may be something that is the free privilege of the believer bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, don't think that it won't come without a battle. There's going to be times when you're going to have to fight for every moment in your prayer closet. There's going to be times when it'll be a battle of the mind and of the soul to get a hold of a thrice holy God and to be heard. Understand that the devil is out to get your prayer line. I see three different groups of people that tried to hinder her praying. And it's important that she did not begin praying in verse number 10, uh, till verse number 10, because this tells me that these were things that Satan was doing to prevent her praying. Uh, Satan would much rather, and I know you've heard it before, uh, this old saying that an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. You've heard that, I'm sure, in your life. Do you know Satan knows that old saying too? And he would a lot rather stop a Christian before they ever get any prayer momentum going than he would try to stop them after they've got hold of the horns of the altar. And so we find three attitudes concerning prayer that I believe that uh, the devil was trying to use to discourage Hannah from praying. I just want you to take note of them. Uh, the first is given by Penina. Now, Penina was the wife of Hannah's husband, Elkanah. And 
Penina had uh, children. And uh, so the Bible says there in uh, verse number 6 that she provoked her sore. And look at what it says. For to make her fret. Penina's design was to uh, instill fear in the heart of Hannah. Well, now fear about what? Fear that she was never going to be able to have children. Fear that it was useless to hope that she would have children. Fear that it was just a vain delusion in her mind that she could ever hold a child in her arms and call that child her own. Could I say to you that one of the reasons that we don't pray and one of the attitudes that the devil wants us to have about prayer is that prayer is an impossible thing. There are certain things in our life the devil likes to sidle up beside us and whisper in our ear and say, you know, you can pray for it, but you know as well as I do, God's not going to do that. I know you've been praying for that son or that daughter, that grandson, that granddaughter, that niece, that nephew, that mama, that daddy, that brother, that sister to be saved. And you've been praying for uh, 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, whatever it may be. And the devil likes to come up beside you and say, the reason they ain't got saved is because they're never going to get saved because it's impossible. God can't do it. Could I say to you that the Bible says uh, that with men things are impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now, I understand men have free will choices. Men are going to make their choices. I'm well aware of that. Uh, But let me say this. I believe that our prayers can affect the degree to which the Holy Ghost has liberty in a person's life. Uh, Though they may not uh, be forced to accept Christ as their Savior, and they won't be forced to accept Christ as their Savior, I believe you can pray and get a hold of God and cause God to get a hold of them. They may still turn Him away, uh, but it makes a difference, prayer does, in people's lives. Uh, Maybe it's a financial difficulty you're facing. Listen, if I tried to run through a gamut of examples tonight, we'd be here all night for every single point and illustration that I've got. But you may be facing some big things in your life, and the devil wants to convince you that it's impossible, that prayer won't work, that prayer is a useless, uh, vain uh, practice of old, uh, superstitious people. You know, I was watching something just uh, yesterday on uh, some infidel had made a documentary and, uh, you know, he was wanting to... Listen to this. This tells you how they are. Amen. This tells you how infidels are. He wanted to discount Christianity and he went to the authorities on Christianity. You know who he went to? He went to, to a truck stop Bible study, to a health and wealth preacher. Uh, he went to all of these people that anybody with, with a plug nickel's worth of sense would know would not be the place to go to get grounded in sensible biblical answers. But you know, that's how they are. They've always played with a cork bat. That's the only way they can try to win. Amen? Uh, but, you know, he would go along and try to just say that uh, Christianity was just a superstition and that prayer was just a superstitious activity. Uh, you know, that's straight out of the pit of hell. That's the same kind of language the devil uses. He wants to convince you that prayer is of no worth. Let me tell you something. Uh, if prayer is of no worth, then the Son of God was sure confused on it because he prayed often. He prayed often. Penina comes and seeks to make her fret. And sometimes the devil wants us to believe that prayer is impossible. Why don't you notice a second thing? Uh, look down in verse number 8. This is interesting. Then said Elkanah, her husband to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? Now here Hannah is. She's in a fit. I mean, she's tore up, she's grieved, she's troubled. Her soul is racked with angst and with anxiety. And her husband comes to her and says, Hannah, why weepest thou? Why eatest thou not? Why is thy heart grieved? Notice this. Am not I better to thee than ten sons? Now stop and think about what he's saying. What he's saying is, Hannah, why are you so troubled? Don't you already have enough in me? 
Hannah, why are you so troubled? Don't you realize that you've got a good thing? Could I say to you that sometimes the devil tries to make us believe that prayer is impossible, but sometimes he's just satisfied if he can make us feel like prayer is impolite. Impolite. Let me ask you something. Have you ever gone to pray for something and then felt guilty about it? Have you ever gone to pray and ask God for something? You stop and you think, you know, i got no business. God's already done so much for me. Can I tell you that that's not God's attitude about prayer? <laughs> Uh, the Bible says, uh, and some people say, well, God's given me so much, I hate to ask for something else from Him. Well, you know, the Bible says that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no uh, variableness, neither shadow of turning. There ain't a single thing you've got in your life that's good that you earned in and of yourself. It all came from God. If you're ever going to have another good thing in your life, it's going to come from God. There's nothing that you've accomplished yourself. I mean, uh, sometimes we have the idea that we're bothering God when we pray. Hey, we've got an omniscient God and an omnipotent God. We're not bothering Him by praying. And in fact, even if we were, do you know uh, that in the New Testament, Christ uh, gave an analogy concerning the idea of bothersome praying. And he uh, told the story, the parable, uh, if you will, about uh, a judge that uh, was not a necessarily a just man. He was not necessarily the kind of man uh, that would execute judgment just uh, for judgment's sake. But there was this little widow woman that had been done wrong, and she came to this judge, and the judge said, no, I'm not interested in helping you. And so she came back the next day. And he said, no, I'm not interested in helping you. And time and time again, and day after day after day, and you know, I, I, to explain it in a hillbilly kind of way, she wore him down till he finally did something and responded. He gave another analogy concerning prayer uh, of a man that uh, had a neighbor that came in the middle of the night and began to knock on the door and ask for bread uh, and said that surely you would give a man a loaf of bread if he did this. Uh, and you know what God said about that? God said all these analogies and then he said, Do you not think that your Father in heaven would much rather give unto you? The fact of the matter is, uh, even if a prayer was a bothersome thing, God wouldn't be bothered by it, but prayer's not a bothersome thing. God wants to hear from us. God begs us to pray. God, God right near bribes us to pay or to pray. God has a desire to hear from His children. We don't ever have to feel bad about going to God and bringing a matter to Him. He, he beckoned us to and He begged us to. He told us to cast all our cares upon Him. Now, I think God meant that when He said it, don't you? He didn't say, cast some of your cares upon me or cast the cares that you don't want to deal with or cast the cares that you think I can pencil into my schedule. He said, cast all your cares upon me. Casting all your cares upon Him. You know why? For He careth for you. God's interested in your life. He wants you to pray about it. Let me give you a third thing. Uh, Hannah goes up to Shiloh. And as she's at Shiloh and she's grieved in her heart, and uh, she begins to weep and to pray and to cry, uh, listen to what happens in verse number 13. Now, here she is, and she's praying and weeping to the Lord. And the Bible says, Now, Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Now, this is a woman that is immersed in prayer. And by the way, this isn't talking about speaking in tongues either. Uh, this is not talking about some kind of supernatural manifestation of the Spirit 
of God. It's merely saying she was so grieved, uh, her voice was gone from her. It was just her and God. I don't know if you know what that's like. I hope you do. Uh, sometimes when I pray, and I don't mean to invite you into my prayer closet, but sometimes when I pray, I'll lay on my face and I'll plug my ears and I'll just try to get as far away from this world as I can. And I want it to be just me and God because that's who it ought to be in the prayer closet is just you and God spending time again. This is what Hannah is doing. Uh, Hannah is dead to the world, so to speak, and she's praying. Uh, listen to what it says in verse 13. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. Uh, could I say that the devil wants us to believe that prayer is impossible? And he wants us to believe that prayer is impolite. Uh, but sometimes the devil just wants us to believe that prayer is improper. Improper. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Uh, well, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I know there's been times the devil, and I don't mean in an audible sense, but I mean impressed upon my mind the thought, you're just being silly by praying. You're just being silly. I believe in the sovereignty of God. But I believe that prayer is the means of accomplishing God's sovereign will. I don't believe that you or I fully understand or comprehend what the sovereign will of God is. I believe within the framework of our operating and the framework of our consciousness in our life, I believe that, that prayer is able to shift and affect and change things in a real way. I believe that, that, that prayer can, can affect things in a supernatural way, in a heavenly way, and in an earthly way. I believe prayer can do this. But I understand, too, that there's times... When we just get downright discouraged and we think it's just not doing anything or solving anything to pray. And sometimes it's easy for the devil to mock us and make us feel silly about praying because we don't feel like it's doing any good. This is what was happening to Hannah. Now, Eli, and I'll give it to old Eli, uh, once he realized what she was doing, he did not rebuke her, but he was very kind and entreated her. Uh, but, but Eli's knee-jerk response, and hey, listen, something's wrong when the man of God can't even identify a person really praying. I mean, there's something wrong with that, don't you think? Uh, don't you think Eli should have been able to look at her and realize, hey, that woman's not drunk, she's getting a hold of God. That woman's not drunk. She's praying and she's, uh, her, her soul is raptured into communion with an almighty God. But he couldn't. We know why if you study the life of Eli. But his initial response is, you're being foolish. You're out here and you're drunk and you're being foolish and you're being silly. What are you doing on your knees there praying? And sometimes the devil likes to say, you know better than that. What are you doing? Hey, I'm glad I don't know better than that. I'm glad prayer does work and I hope I never know better than to pray. I hope that's always my go-to source. I hope that's always my go-to resource and recourse in a time of trouble and in a time of peace that I go to God and commune with Him. Don't let the devil bully you out of praying. We see that there was an adversary of her prayer. But I want you to look at verse number 10. I want you to notice the approach of her prayer. Look at the way she came to God. The Bible says in verse 10, And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. Look at verse 15. Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul 
before the Lord. Notice the characteristics of the way she came to God. Because I believe that sometimes we have allowed prayer to become vested in formality rather than in faith today. I believe sometimes we've been too concerned with the form of it uh, and not uh, as much concerned with the power of it today. I want you to notice first off that she came and she was passionate as she prayed. She was serious about prayer. Prayer was not an afterthought to Hannah. Prayer was the main deal. When she came, the Bible says she wept sore. That literally means she wept to a degree where it afflicted her. Uh, She poured out her soul. It has the connotation and the idea of being drained from praying and talking to God. And if you've never experienced it, I can't explain it to you. But I've got a feeling probably there's a few people or quite a few in this room that know what it's like to have poured out your soul to God. I tell you, the problem today is in temporal things we're too comfortable and in spiritual things we're too carnal, so we just don't ever get worked up about anything. This grieved Hannah. This this grabbed hold of the soul of this young woman. And she purposed in her heart that she was going to pour everything she had. Uh, I tell you, it's a sad thing. I, I would say, and, and you know, they say 97% of statistics are made up on the spot. But let me throw one out that I think is probably accurate. I think it's probably accurate that less than 10% of people pray for their family members more than 10% of, or 10 minutes a day. Uh, the fact of the matter is, most of us don't ever invest any serious time in prayer. Might pray before a meal, might pray a little bit before bed. Uh, I kind of like what it says in the book of Malachi, Who is there among you who would uh, kindle a fire at my door for not? You know what God's saying when He says that? Uh, who among you will come and just spend time with me and not come when you need something? Who will come and just spend time with me? Who will come not at the appointed time, not at the appointed sacrifice or the appointed feast, but who will come and light a candle at my prayer uh, throne room just because they want to spend time with me? I believe we need to start getting serious about prayer if we want to see prayer do serious things. I think we need to start spending some time in prayer. Uh, If we're not spending time in prayer, we're not serious about it. Uh, she was passionate in the way that she prayed. But I want you to notice, secondly, look at verse 11. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid, now underscore this, a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. I would say that she was passionate in her prayer, but I would say she was particular in her prayer. She came to God and she asked for what she wanted. She came to God and she asked specifically. Generalities in our prayer life are death to our prayer life. Listen again to what I just said. Generalities in our prayer life are death to our prayer life. You know why? We attribute it to coincidence. We ask God for things and half the things we ask God for, we never pay attention to whether He does answer. And the other half of things are so vague that uh, even if he does answer, we don't even really notice it when he does. I believe that as we read the Word of God, and as we study the idea of prayer, we find that prayer is a specific thing. I believe when we go and pray, if we have a need, we ought to pray and ask God to meet those needs. Later on, Hannah would say, I have prayed for this child. 
She says, I am the woman that stood outside this door and that prayed. And I asked the Lord for this child, and He gave me this child. You know what she's saying? She's saying, I didn't just pray for a child. I didn't just pray for any child. I may have not named him yet, but I knew who he was in my heart. And I've asked for this child from the Lord. And the Lord has given me this child. If you've got bills that you need met, and listen, I'm not talking about living beyond our means and expecting God to pick up the slack. But I'm talking about trying to survive, and the Lord promised that He would meet your needs. Uh, pray for God to meet those needs. Don't just pray for money. Pray for God to meet those needs. you got a health issue, pray for God to work in that health issue. Now, be surrendered and submitted to the will of God if it's not God's will to heal. If God's will is for you to lose that service or that car or that house, uh, rather than for Him to give you the money for it, well, then blessed be the name of the Lord. He giveth and He taketh away. Be submitted to the will of God. Uh, but don't be afraid about praying about these specific things either. You got someone you want to see led to the Lord, someone you want to try to win to Christ, someone whose life is a wreck, they're saved, but they're not living for the Lord. Pray for them specifically. Ask God to do things, and God will do things. It's amazing how simplistic it all is, but how lost it is on so many of us. When Hannah prayed, she didn't just pray, Oh, Lord, bless me. She prayed, she said, Lord, I want a man-child. I want a specific child. She didn't just pray and say, Lord, I want you to give uh, me uh, some child to love. She said, Lord, I want a child of my own. I want this child. She didn't just say, well, Lord, I want a good family. She said, Lord, this child is what I'm praying for. And you know what God did? He gave her that child. Notice that she was passionate and particular. But look at verse 12. The Bible says, and it came to pass as she continued praying. She was persistent. Uh, whenever uh, she prayed, she didn't stop praying. She continued praying until she got an answer from God. I believe this is a practice that is lost on many of us because we don't have time for it today. Oh, God, help us when the, when the time God's given to us, we refuse to give back to Him. And, and listen, I'm preaching, it, I'm preaching it me as well as at you. I mean, I'm as guilty of this. I'm probably more guilty of this than many of you are. Uh, when Hannah prayed, she prayed till she got an answer. She didn't just pray for a little while and then quit because she got tired, got hungry, wanted to go sleep, wanted to do this or that. Uh, and you know why she couldn't do that? Uh, why she couldn't stop? Because it was important to her. There again, we're, we're, we're too comfortable in temporal things and we're too carnal in spiritual things. When things start to bother us and grieve us and upset us and, and, and rack our body with worry or concern, when they really start to get to us, we're going to get to God to see God do something. She continued and continued and continued. I want you to notice a fourth thing. Look what it says in verse number 19. This, this was a blessing to me. The Bible says, And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. The Bible says in verse 18, And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. She's speaking to Eli. Uh, so the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. I would say that in her prayer life that she was passionate, and I would say that she was particular and persistent. But we see there came a time when she was persuaded. Uh, she believed she had got a hold of God, and she left it with him. Now, let me say, I understand there's probably some confusion upon this matter in the life and hearts of believers. People say, Preacher, how do I know when I've prayed enough? Uh, well, all I can say is this, and it's very, very similar to salvation. You know that, uh, you know that whenever you show a person how to be saved, uh, many times they will pray and ask God to save them, uh, but you don't know whether they meant business or not. 
A lot of times they'll turn up later and they'll say, well, I'm doubting my salvation, I'm doubting. And you'll pray with them again and they'll pray and try to get some confirmation and they'll be all right for a little while and then they'll begin to doubt again and, and over and over. And, uh, you know, you can try to give them all the advice in the world. Trust me, I'm a pastor. I, I do it regularly. I, I'll take them John 5, 24. I'll take them all through the Word of God and I'll give them Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. But, friend, it seems as though until the Holy Ghost of God confirms that in your heart, uh, you're never going to really find any final rest about the matter. Uh, it's one thing to know the Word of God. It's another thing to know the God of the Word. And uh, it's much the same way in our prayer life. God will make known to you uh, when you've prayed enough about a matter. God does not always, though He all... Let me be clear about this. God always answers immediately, but you don't always know the answer immediately. Amen? And uh, many times we will pray and ask God to do something. Uh, be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. He'll make known to you uh, when you've prayed enough about a matter. She, she believed God and trusted God and left it with God. She knew God was able and capable, and so she left it with the Lord. We see her approach in her prayer life. Look at verse number 19 again. We see the answer to her prayer. The Bible says, uh, in uh, the end of verse number 19, And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. In other words, the Lord remembered that prayer, and the Lord blessed her. The Lord allowed her to conceive, allowed them to have a child. We see God's answer to this prayer. It's amazing that so much time is spent surrounding this answer, and so much, so little time is spent to this answer. Uh, it simply says the Lord remembered her. It doesn't give us a grand discourse upon the Lord's answer to her prayer. And, and that kind of blesses me. You know why? Uh, because it tells me all the things I need to know. I don't need to know how God's going to do it. I just need to know what I need to do to get a hold of God. Amen? I don't have to always understand how God's going to do something or what He's going to do. I just have to know how to get a hold of God. That's what's important to me. And so that's what we have in this passage. But there are a few things we gather. And I would say, first off, that it was a swift answer. Notice again the construct of the verse. And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord, and they returned and came to their house to Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife. Uh, it leads you to believe, and I believe scripturally so, uh, that they conceived this child very shortly after they got home from this trip. Uh, God had already heard and answered this prayer. Do you know that God is never bound by time? Uh, God is never, it's never that God has to wait to do something or has to hurry up and do something. God can do everything in His own timing. When we ask God to do something and ask it in faith, many times we don't receive the answer right away, not because God is incapable, because God's always capable, uh, but for two reasons. One, it may not be time yet. And two, it may be there's some things we need to learn through our praying for that matter. But God was swift to answer this. God immediately, God is capable of answering this, and He answered it swiftly. But notice, too, uh, it was a swift answer, but it was a specific answer. God gave her what she asked for. Isn't it a blessing? And I, I tell you, there's been times in my life when I've seen God meet bills down to the very penny. And I've seen God answer prayers in a way that was just absolutely perfect. And He does all things right, I'm aware of that, but sometimes this old flesh doesn't like to believe that. I've seen God sometimes just meet things down to the very penny. And uh, I've seen Him uh, heal people in miraculous ways. You say, preacher, that's charismatic. No, that's biblical. That's biblical. And now, if I said I healed them, that would be charismatic, and that would be straight out of hell, and it would be blasphemous too. 
but to believe that God's able to heal people, that's not blasphemous at all. That's biblical. The Bible says the prayer of faith uh, shall uh, heal the sick. Uh, God's able to do that. And I've seen God do that before. I mean, I've seen God, uh, you know, I don't know why it is. God, when something, when you're sick and you ask God to heal you of something, He don't come along and heal you of something different. Or at least I've never seen it happen. Amen. Uh, God answers the prayers that we pray to Him. We ask things of God, and He answers them, and we have not because we ask not. I've seen God do mighty things, but you know God always answers in the right way at the right time. And I would say that thirdly, we see it was a sure answer. Look at verse number 23. And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good. Tarry until thou have winged him. Only the Lord establish his word. Now, what we have in this passage is this. Hannah has made a vow that if God would give her this man-child, that she would give this man-child back to the Lord. And I believe I understand Hannah's mind about this. Uh, we're doing a little bit of reading between the lines when we, when we say this, but I believe I understand her mindset when in verse number 22 it says, But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. I think what Hannah's saying is this. I think her mindset is, I promised him to God, and I'm not going to show up empty-handed. I think that's what she's thinking. I think her mindset is God's given me this man-child, and I don't want to appear before him again, except I have this child in my hands and I'm able to give him back to the Lord. And so when Elkanah makes this statement, when he says, the Lord establish his word, what he is essentially saying is this, and some of you are going to hear echoes of your own marriage. Hannah looks at Elkanah and says, well, I'm not going to go up. Until uh, until this child is weaned, I'm ready to give him. Elkanah evidently did not like that because she he had wanted Hannah to go up with her, and so I kind of imagine a conversation like this. I kind of imagine Elkanah saying, "Now, Hannah, you need to get ready. We're going up to Shiloh and we're going to worship." And her saying, "Well, you know, I'm not going up there." And he says, "What do you mean you're not going up there?" And she says, "I ain't going up there till I get this baby ready to take up there and to give for the Lord." And he says, "All right, but you better know what you're doing." All right, the Lord established his word. Hannah's mindset is God has given me this child. God will protect this child until I can get this child to Shiloh and give him to the Lord. So Elkanah says the Lord established his word. The Lord watch over him. The Lord protect him. Or in a sense, Hannah, I hope you're right. You watch over him. When the Lord answered, it was right. But could I say when the Lord answered, it was lasting. It lasted as long as it needed to last. God watched over this child until she could get him weaned so that he could go and to be there. God is able to provide for us as long as it is needed. God is able to meet a need. Uh, listen, the barrel of oil will not, uh, will not be extinguished until God's done with it. The ravens will bring the meat until God's done with it. The brook will not dry up until God's done with it. And if He lets it dry up, it's because He's got something better for us. We see that it was a sure answer, but I want you to notice a few final thoughts. I want us to see the acknowledging of her prayer. How did she respond? What did she do after God had answered this prayer in her life? What did she do? I would say in verse number 20, uh, the Bible says, Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about, after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son, and called his name Samuel, or we would call it Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. The name Samuel actually means asked of the Lord. I would say that first off, she recognized the Lord's goodness. 
she recognized that this child was the child that God had given her. And she gave God the glory in her own heart for what He had done. I believe one of the greatest sins and one of the most abundant sins in the life of believers is unthankfulness in our prayer life. Boy, we ask God to do things sometimes, and you ought to stop and look back over your life sometime and think about all God's done for you. We ask God to do things all the time. I'm, I'm guilty of it like I'm sure you are. I'll ask God to bless food to the nourishment of my body. And uh, I, I, I ought to start asking the Lord to bless it to the fitness of my body. Amen. But, but it always nourishes. I'm still here. We'll ask God to give us a good day. And we'll have a good day. And any day that we don't wake up in hell is a good day. And we don't thank God for it. But let me go a step beyond that and say not just the things that we probably pray in vain repetition, and we're probably hypocritical for praying it the way we do, but the things that we pray deliberately for and we ask God to do. And I, I, this is, it's been a case lesson for me having this baby because you've got a lot more to pray for, amen? Uh, you've got a lot of things to pray for. And, uh, you know, I, I never had to pray for my wife that she'd go to sleep. But sometimes that little one, you know, you start begging on God when it's about four in the morning. He, he's still wide-eyed. I mean, he's not even close, you know. He's still bouncing around. And you pray and you ask God to do things. You pray and ask God to help him to sleep or to give him peace or, uh, you know, to calm and soothe his stomach or this, that, or the other. Just little things that you ask God to do. But let me tell you something. When God intervenes in the world of humanity, it's not a small thing. We ought to praise him for it. We ought to praise Him for it. I wonder how many parking spots we've prayed and asked God for that He's given us that we haven't thanked Him for. I wonder how many uh, headaches that we've prayed and asked God to take away that He's done for us that we've not uh, praised Him for. I wonder how many little scuffles that we've had with our spouse that we've prayed and asked God to clear up for us and He's done it and we've not praised Him for. Something's wrong with that. It'll help our prayer life if we'll start recognizing the Lord's goodness. Why don't you notice, secondly, look at verse 26. The Bible says, and she says, uh, she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the Lord that I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord for this child I prayed and the Lord hath given me my petition which I asked of him. Let me say that she recognized the Lord's goodness but she recounted the Lord's goodness. I believe public praise is an important thing. I believe it's minimized in churches today. I believe it's particularly minimized in a lot of independent Baptist churches today, the idea of public praise. But I believe public praise is a biblical principle. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And time and time again, these psalms in the book of Psalms that were uh, meant to be used in public worship uh, were narrative histories of the goodness of God in the life of Israel or in the life of the psalmist. Uh, what was the psalmist doing? He was telling people what God had done in his life. I believe we'd be more effective soul winners if if we'd talk about the goodness of God. I believe we'd be more effective at exhorting and encouraging people if we'd talk about the goodness of God in our life. I believe that we'd help other Christians if we would talk more about the goodness of God in our life. I believe it'd make us closer to the Lord if we'd talk more about the goodness of God in our life. God, help us when we're silent to others about God's goodness. But that's what you see, man. I mean, in my life and probably in yours as well. Uh, time and time again, God does things. I mean, we ought to have something to brag about. We're saved. 
<laughs> and not to boast about, but to brag about. Not, not to boast about, but to brag about. Something to talk about. Something to praise the Lord about. Something to tell others about. Because we're saved by the grace of God. That ought to mean something in our lives. Uh, she recounted the Lord's goodness. But I would say, finally, look at verse 28. And uh, I think you'll understand the grain of salt that must be taken with what I say here. Therefore, also, I have lent him... To the Lord. Now that word lent there that's used, it's not the idea of lending like we understand, but it's the idea of giving back. Uh, she's not saying, Lord, I'm going to let you borrow him. She's saying, Lord, you've let me borrow and I, I'm going to borrow him back to you. Amen. She says, therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. I would say that in at least a limited way. Not only did she recognize the Lord's goodness and recount the Lord's goodness, but she did her best to recompense the Lord's goodness. She said, God's been so good to me and He's given me this baby boy, I'm going to try to give this baby boy back to Him. It ought to be that our prayer life makes us more sacrificial Christians. As we see what God's done in our life and the goodness of God in our life. Hey, listen, it, and, and don't, don't think that I'm beating anybody down. I'm awful proud of the, the church and the way that they give and the, the generous heart. So don't, don't think this is something that is, uh, that is, uh, that is encouraged or that is warranted, uh, by any kind of activity or anything. But just in general, Christianity in general, uh, it ought to make us give more when, when we think about the goodness of God in our life. It ought to make us serve more when we think about the goodness of God. There ought not be anything God could ask of us that would be too much. And there's nothing that is too much. But in our hearts and lives, there, there ought to be nothing God could ask that we'd look at and say, Lord, that's too much. We wouldn't have a thing. Uh, friend, if, if, if we got what we deserved, we'd be in hell with our neck broke one next to another tonight. Uh, we wouldn't have a thing if we got what we deserved. The very fact that we live and breathe is a blessing and gift from God. We ought to try to do something and give something back to the Lord. I mean, it ought, not be a, it ought not be a lot to ask for us to be faithful to the Lord's house and to give and to tell people about Jesus Christ, to read our Bibles and to pray and to do... That's not a lot for God to ask. After all He's done for you and I, not only did He have more than us, He gave more than us, and He gave up a lot more than you'll ever give up for Him. And Hannah's saying, God's done this in my life. I'm going to try to give it back to Him. I fear that a lot of people lose their children and lose their loved ones and lose their grandchildren, lose their siblings because they don't give back to the Lord the very thing that God's given to them. I fear that a lot of people lose the money that the God has blessed them with because it becomes a, a, a stumbling block and an idol in their life. There's a lot of people, friend, that are sitting on, on the lake, not right now, it's too cold, but will be sitting on the summer in boats that, that God paid for by blessing their life. And they allow it to become an idol in their life. And they allow, uh, God's blessed them with a job and a means of putting food on the table and surviving and living. Uh, they've allowed it to become an idol in their life. We ought to give those things back to Jesus Christ. Uh, we ought to give those back to the Lord. That's what Hannah did. Hannah said, God's blessed me with this son. I'm going to give it back. I'm going to honor the Lord with it.